Welcome to the Who Do You Think You Are podcast by Endurance Leadership. Each episode, we interview ordinary but extraordinary individuals about their unique identity journeys, sharing valuable lessons and breakthrough coaching moments to inspire and help listeners get unstuck. My name is Ken Castrico. As a deep coach with over 20 years of experience and the owner of Endurance Leadership, my mission is to guide clients on a journey of self-discovery. Ultimately, my goal is to empower clients to not only understand but fully embrace their true selves, unlocking their full potential and living a more authentic and fulfilling life. Knowing who you are can change the way you see the world and others around you, and that's why we are here to help you find you. Join us as we search for the gold in people's lives. Today, my guest is Tom Reiner. I met Tom when I was pastoring at University Family Fellowship in Reno, Nevada around 2005. I'll never forget the day that I met Tom. I was asked to help him load a box truck with a bunch of chairs and a sound system that the church had given him to take to Africa. It was like God put us together. We have been friends and in ministry together ever since. Tom is my pastor. It's an honor to have him on this podcast and have him talk about his identity story. Tom has been happily married to Kathy Greiner for more than 40 years. They have three daughters and six grandchildren, as well as two golden doodles. Tom and Kathy live in Springfield, Illinois, and Tom has a Bachelor of Science in Biology and a Doctorate of Ministry from Oral Roberts University. He's authored several books, including Wounded Continent, Word of Knowledge, Quantum Word, Heavenly Places, Workers of Miracles, and Into His Presence. Dr. Greiner has added Equipping Entrepreneurs in a seminar titled How to Start and Grow a Business Supernaturally. He has added a national television program broadcasting weekly in Africa titled Power to Create Wealth. He is also a university campus speaker who addresses current events from a biblical worldview perspective. He is the co-founder and president of Father's Heart International, an organization equipping and planting churches evangelizing cities and implementing cultural transformation through media. Please help me welcome my friend, Dr. Tom Greiner. Thank you for being on the Who Do You Think You Are podcast. I am so grateful that you are on on the podcast today and participating in this incredible project I have of actually interviewing people's identity life stories so hey i'm glad to be here (laughs) i just thank you for your willingness to give your story and your time today so we believe that all lives are interesting and i know yours is extremely interesting and deserve to be celebrated so depends on the perspective (laughs) well i know the perspective Uh, a little bit about my history with you is had been you are getting some chairs and a big sound system and the soundboard, that huge soundboard. I remember helping you load that into the back of a, a box truck and you were heading off to Africa and we'll get to some of that, but that's how I met you. And then we just, we just became not only good friends, you became my pastor. You became somebody that my family, Diane and I, my, my wife, Diane and I, just love you and Kathy so much. And you have just encouraged us, prayed for us, and been with us on this journey the last 
can you believe it? 15, 20 years. I'm so blessed that you're with us today. And so I'll just get right to it. How about that? Let's do it. All right. So I just wanted to start basically, I guess, at the beginning. And when we talk about somebody's identity journey, I'm very intrigued to see and get to know somebody's journey as they as they grow up. So yes, we're going to start at the beginning. Let's go back to, you know, the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. <laughs> no, I was born in Ruston, Louisiana, believe it or not. I'm a Louisianian. And my father and mother were, my father was going to college there at Louisiana Tech, getting a degree in business. And so I was born there in January 1950. That was a long time ago. And wow. so from there, you know, you follow your parents where they go. And all of a sudden you find yourself growing up. And of course, there's a, a incredible history in every person's life as they're growing up and the things that happen. And uh, several things happened in my life growing up. Number one, at about nine years old, my parents got a divorce. And so that rocked our world and rocked my my brother and my sister. I had a brother and sister. And then probably if there's anything that would be really significant in my mind at this time in my life is that when I was about five or six years old, I was listening to a man on the radio, believe it or not, hearing the radio in the house <laughs> in Orange, Texas. My father was an uh, insurance salesperson. So I'm listening to the radio and I hear this guy preaching on the radio about hell. And here I'm a young tyke. I probably, maybe I was five years old, maybe even younger, but this is a major part of my life. I hear him on the radio and he's talking about hell. And I don't know what that's all about, but I just know he must've been a hellfire damnation preacher that as a little boy, all of a sudden I realized I don't want to go to hell. And I went out on the back porch and looked up into the sky, a beautiful, dark, black velvet sky with stars. And I just remember saying, God, would you send me to hell? And think oh, wow. about that. As a four-year-old, five, would you send me to hell? So it's kind of an advanced concept about things I really didn't know anything about, at least intellectually. But there's something in the, the human experience that is looking for eternity. And I don't want to go off preaching, but I think this is the, some of the genesis of what caused me to ask that question, God, would you send me to, to hell? As a little boy, I'm asking that question. I'm on the back porch looking up and it was silence. There was no answer. I didn't see a light. I didn't have a visitation from an angel. It was just a quiet silence. And so I don't know exactly what that was other than as I look back as a, a grown man, mm -hmm. I believe that that was my first contact, as it were. <laughs> it, it isn't, it, UFO. isn't that interesting that you remember that so vividly, you know, at, at the age of five? I mean, most some people can't remember back to the age of five, but I know that that having something that important, do you think that sets you up 
for looking for that answer that you asked? Well, I think I was looking, but I think that God himself was looking for me. And this was the beginning of him calling me unto himself. And this is important because you know that my life is is completely embedded into the Judeo-Christian idea of God, of the Lord Jesus and him saving us. And my whole life has been invested in that, but I didn't get there overnight. Right. And I'm not trying to make this into a sermon. This is just what happened to me. And if you could add to that, a few months later, I recall my grandmother, Nana was her name. She would take me to the Presbyterian church with my brother and sister. And the Presbyterian church in Orange, Texas had a huge dome with these angels, this glass, the stained glass with these beautiful angels and, and views of God and even, you know, statues evangelic things and it was like this fascinating church experience you didn't even have to listen to the sermon because it was probably boring but you could just look up at all of this artwork in this incredible presbyterian church and then i would go to sunday school and here i have another experience i remember taking the you know they give you juice and graham crackers in those days mm -hmm. and i remember they were singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I remember singing along with that. I never heard such a thing. But some there was a strange sense of the presence of God that came to me as we sang that song. And these are little open windows into my personal life. Right. That at the time, as a little boy, I didn't know that God was calling me unto himself. I believe he's calling everybody, but particularly these, this is the genesis of my own experience mm -hmm. that has led me to a lifetime of serving the invisible God. <laughs> <laughs> so, so those things that you can remember happened to you, and then let's move on a little bit from that. Well, most of my life was being, was a response to a divorced family. From, from that point kind of on, divorce came and all of the pain that comes with parents fighting, divorcing, having other spouses. When I was a sophomore in high school, my brother was, was killed in a car wreck while he was attending Georgia Tech. I was oh, wow. living with my father in Georgia and that wrecked and rattled my, my world as I guess I was a sophomore in high school at that time. I was about 16 or 17. And I'm the guy that answered the phone when the president of the university called to speak to my parents and tell them that their son had been killed in a car wreck. And so the, I was the bearer of that news. The wow. guy should have done that. <laughs> no. And you were how old when that happened? I was about 16. Wow. Now, let me ask the question then, how did that actually affect who you are and your faith? Well, there was one more kind of cumul cumulative, brought everything together. I went to live with my grandmother in South Carolina when I was a, a freshman. And while I was living with her, she took me to 
revi a revival meeting, a Baptist revival meeting, where again, a man was preaching about Jesus and hell and salvation. And when I was there, I just knew when I heard this stuff, I said, I've got to do this. I've got to give my life to God, to Jesus. And so I made up my mind in this revival meeting, which made me very uncomfortable. It's my grandmother, a good Baptist woman she was. And so the next Sunday at the Cy Cypress Creek Baptist Church, I went forward and, you know, they invite you forward to come receive Christ. And I did it. And then I was baptized in Cypress Creek. And then I had a dream. And in the dream, I found myself in heaven <laughs> sitting on a bench and I knew it was an angel that came up to me and the angel said, do you want to see your name in the book? I didn't know what book they were talking about. Well, there's a book called the book of life. And so this angel took me to the book, opened the pages to the G Griner, and I found my name written in this book. And I've come to know now that that was the book of life. Your name is written in the book of life when you give your life to Jesus. And so these things are happening, and I'm trying to make sense of this, this world that's spinning out of control. But I end up moving, and I, I live with my brother. He gets killed in a car wreck, and then I move again and go back to Livingston, Texas, living with my other grandmother, and I'm playing football. I graduate from high school and someone, one of my dear friends says, Griner, what are you going to do when you graduate? And I said, I'm going to be a preacher. And everybody went silent in the car. We're out drinking Lone Star, you know, <laughs> every Friday and Saturday, we're drinking beer and traveling the, the street, the one street of Livingston, Texas. And I just come up with this random, you're going to be a preacher. I'm going to be a preacher. And I didn't even know what I was saying myself. And so I have these kind of random experiences. But as I look now, I see the hand of God drawing me unto himself. And I think this is really part of everyone's identity. There's a God that is drawing everyone in their unique way unto himself. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I used to have those instances too i would mine where i walk around my elementary school playground and i would sing and talk to god i had no idea what i was doing it sounds and, yeah sounds, sounds cool huh yeah. so so you have these experiences and you're you know you're you're not living like the life that a christian would live when you're out gallivanting around the countryside on your one street so so go from there so you you tell your friends they laugh at you i'm gonna i'm gonna preach so what happened from there i went off to college sam houston state university studying i wanted to be an electrical engineer later i changed to pre-med and while i was there i joined the fraternity pi kappa alpha drank all the beer in texas did crazy <laughs> things took lsd I did become a pike, and I did pass my my classes, but sometimes late at night, we'd be at Hoyt's beer joint or something, so I'm driving back, shouldn't have been driving, 
we're driving back late at night and I turned the radio on and there's somebody preaching again. <laughs> and it would make me cry. Oh, wow. And so I was a, a crying drunk. <laughs> I'd listen to the radio. And so this was just kind of that, this inward thing that's happening. Something is, is pulling on me and I don't know what it is fully. I mean, it, you know, I just want to live my life and have a good job. And I, I was at that time, electrical engineer, but then I was also thinking about becoming a doctor. And I finally decided, hey, I want to become a doctor. And then again, through circumstances, I'm out visiting my father in South Carolina. Again, I had lived out there with my one of my grandmothers. So my father was there. And I told him, I said, you know, if I could, I would go somewhere and change my direction and get a degree in medicine. And at that time, my grandmother, Greiner, was listening to Oral Roberts on the television. Now, Oral Roberts was a famous healing evangelist that started a school, a university in Tulsa, Oklahoma called Oral Roberts University. And so I was listening to Oral Roberts one afternoon and he was talking about his university. And I said, you know, I, I wouldn't mind going there. It'd be a great place to get away from drinking and get this degree in, in medicine. And my father heard me and he came to me the next day and he said, I got you in old Robert University. You're living, leaving on a plane tomorrow. Oh, wow. I went, what? And so the next thing I know, I'm at old Robert University, a Christian university that's completely out of my genre of the world I've been living in. You know, I'm, I'm a, a, a Texas line, you know, steel toed boot motorcycle riding kid, been in, been in school. And now I'm at Old Roberts University and I'm saying, what am I doing here? And thus begins another, a complete immersion where God calls me deep and just messes me up. And I go on a, a three or four year dive into being drawn out of being formed by this world into being formed by a God character comes right out of the Bible, being filled with the Holy Spirit and what have you. I don't know how far you want to go into all of this stuff. <laughs> Rabbit hole gets deep. Well, it's it's your story, and it's very interesting to see how early on, because my, my theory or my belief is, is that my identity comes from God. So, you know, I, I can go back. It's not everybody's belief. But when you've experienced it and you know it, then you can stand by it. And I believe everybody has a story that's extremely interesting. And so it's just very interesting to me how early on you had all of this and you had you had God tugging at your heart saying, hey, here, I'm, I'm here. I'm real. And it took you a long time to to get to where the point where you're like, and it's almost it almost seems Tom, like there was a, a force that was pushing you, pushing you, pushing you, even if you resisted. Would that be true? Yeah, I would call it pulling. Pulling, pulling you to, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's like you're just being called into something. There's, there are decisions to be made along the way. While I was at Oral Roberts University, I became pre-med. I got a degree in biology. And while I was there, I was just around a community of, of people my own age most of them a little younger at that time, 
and they were on fire for Jesus. And I never experienced anything like that. And they talked about something called being baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's where you would encounter God, his spirit, and be filled with his presence. And I didn't know what that was. I was a Baptist. I just knew there was a Bible and I wanted to get a degree. And I was going out drinking on Wednesday and Friday night. I would go out with some of the basketball players and we'd go out and get, you know, tipsy and toasted and come back. Of course, you get caught. They'll kick you out of university, but we were able to do it without getting caught. And so that was my lifestyle. I didn't, this God thing was like attacking me. (laughs) <laughs> and so while I was at ORU, I heard O. Roberts speak, and I would go to those meetings where there would only be maybe 20 people or something. I don't know how I ended up at these meetings, but I would start crying, and I would be embarrassed to go to the meetings because they always made me cry, but I didn't know why. Right. And so I was encountering God and his presence and his love. And then one night alone in one of my, you know, moods, I was alone in my dorm. I'm about to graduate. And I have, I just say, Lord, I just prayed. I just said, Lord, I don't know. I just forgive me of my sins. I'm just feeling the weight of my own sinfulness. Forgive me. And when I said that, it was like a man came out of heaven in my mind's eye. I saw a man come down into my body. And I knew that that man was Jesus. I knew that that was the Holy Spirit. And there's a difference between the two, but I'm not going to talk about that right now. So it's like God just, his spirit came into me. And it was an an incredible, it was like the whole room lit up. And I went down the hall where some of my friends were watching television in, in the dorm. And as soon as I stepped in the doorway, somebody said, Griner, you're either drunk or you got filled with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I was thinking to myself, I didn't know what it was, but I didn't say anything to them. To make a long story short, I went back to my room and I, I, I said, I want, I wanted to pray. I wanted to love God. I just had this thirst to reach out to him and to pray, but I wasn't uh, finding the expression of what was in my heart through my mind. In other words, I was praying in English but it was like, this isn't working. And I remembered something I had heard called speaking in tongues. <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> so I said, I wonder if this is where the tongue thing comes in. And so I just, I said, oh God. And it was like a cork came out of my mouth and I began to, to love God from my, the, from my spirit, from my heart. And I began to speak in this, what what is called the the heavenly language and all of a sudden it just gave such an expression it was like getting out of yourself and it was like I'd never encountered anything quite like that and so this became another solid shaft into my life that was or a hook that was drawing me to God in ways I I hadn't been to Bible school I didn't know anything and so from Orobach University, I graduated with a bachelor's of science in biology, and I end up out in later living in Missouri with some friends of mine who wanted to go to Bible school. And I thought, well, I'll go to Bible school with them because I wasn't able to get into medical school. 
for various reasons, money being one of them. So I went out to Bible school with them just to pass time away. And I end up in Bible school. I love Bible school. <laughs> I make good grades. And God, uh, about once a week, I would have this experience where I would say, Lord, I don't know if I want to serve you. I don't know if this is real. Why am I here? And I would get depressed and I would I would get on the floor and put a pillow on my face and I would just cry and scream into the pillow. But I was also being drawn out of one identity, the identity given to you maybe by broken marriage, being rejected or whatever. You develop that kind of identity. And now I'm being drawn into a different kind of character, a different kind of nature, a different kind of looking way of looking at the world, but it, it wasn't an easy draw. It's costly. Something in you has to be put away and you have to turn away from something and receive something. It's called taking up the cross. It's yeah. Another so this is so important to who you are today. You know, this, these years up till college, you don't really realize it. As far as identity goes, when you were having that in a tumultuous time, when you when when you were being formed in college, I, I would God was molding you. He was pulling you in and molding you. Do you do you recall that your identity at that time? Would you would you say, hey, I think my identity is being formed, or were you was that not something you were even thinking about at the time? Well, I surely wasn't thinking about it as we are doing it today. But yes, it, my identity was being shaped by the word of God. And the word of God, the Bible, has something to say about true reality. Reality as it, as it truly is. And true reality is given to us by God. He knows what makes everything work. He knows everything. And he knows what he's written in the book about you or about me. So there's, there's this plan that God has for each of us, but it starts first. And this is what was happening to me. I was being brought into a life living with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and submitting myself to the King. Mm -hmm. And that, that cost you. It was costly. What, what, what did it cost you best back then when you were, when this was happening in your, in Bible college? What, what did it cost you? It's costing me submitting my will of insecurity or wanting to hold on to my life, to let my life be released into the hands of another. In this case, God, that he, I could trust him, that he is real and that he has the best life in mind for me as a person. And so the way you enter into that is you have to let go and receive what he has given. You know, there's a great, several great passages in the Bible. It says that there's a book that's written about you or about me that God has written. Wow. Each of us has a story that's already been written. So we're finding our way into God's best life. I think maybe it was a book written by, about that. 
but we are finding our way and we, we, you can grope around and find a semblance of it in your own personal life without God if you want to, but it's never going to rise to the heights that God has already planned for you. He's God. He created you. He's from everlasting to everlasting, and we're created beings. And so it costs me letting go of myself. I find myself being self-willed, narcissistic, rebellious, wanting to live by my own appetites. I want to drink it all, smoke it all, look at it all, touch it all, smell it all, do it all. And uh, that's not a healthy way to live. <laughs> and so, so this stuff's being broken off. So you're a, you obviously wanting to go into medicine, sciences, being a science person and lover of, of that. I know I you, love you, you love science. How did faith and science, how does, how does that all work? Especially back in that time when, you know, you're, you're, you like science as proof, right? You're, you're seeing physical proof of things. But there is a faith side to it, too. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I, I can. Faith is, is an expectation, and it's, it's, a, it's really it's the simplicity of believing what is typically invisible. You're, you're believing what you're, you're sensing that's coming to you from the Word of God or from just the presence of the Spirit. But faith is also being made manifest in the, the realms of science. Right. And so my first use of science when it comes to this thing of faith was when I began to realize that the, the things of God right. that we know about in time and space can be verified quantitatively and qualitatively, they can be verified through the science of historical research. There's a science to history, to understanding history. Mm -hmm. A lot right. of people don't realize that. There's a, there's, a, there's a scientific method for exploring circumstantial evidence, archaeology, and historical stuff. And so I begin to study the historicity of the Bible, because I wanted to, to know that it was real, because I'm, I'm my whole life is being built on the identity that I'm going to receive as being a son of God and sharing in the nature of God. And so I'm going to the Bible and I'm saying how I want to have faith in the Bible, but how can I understand that it's real? Because some people say it's only a, it's myth, mythological, it's this, that, or the other. And so through science, through the study of critical historical study and manuscript study, I really became strongly convinced of the objective reality of history, the history of the Bible and the circumstances that Jesus was real, that he lived, he walked the shores of Galilee. And he was raised from the dead and he was God and he ascended into heaven. And so you have this historical roadmap that's in time and space. Historical roadmap that is just hammering this reality. And that just got all over me and gave me more faith. So I was using science 
to increase my the objective part of reality, because Christianity is not just about your heart. It's about living your life. It's not about being a preacher. It's about knowing God and living out of his life in the world around us. And for most people, that's in a, quote, secular environment, right? which, which belongs to God as well. And so I was able to demonstrate this scientifically and then through the study of quantum physics, I even wrote a couple of books on this subject, the faith of the Bible becomes seen as a function of, of quantum observation. <laughs> and so the study of quantum physics basically teaches us that the world is built upon the smallest particle called the quantum, and the quantum is a field of energy and I began to realize that God set that field of energy in the motion. He spoke words, and those words formed the energy into the materialistic world we live in. Now the Bible comes along and says, if you believe all things are possible, say to this mountain to be removed and thrown into the sea, and it will be. Pray for the sick, and there can be healing. There can be a manifestation of power. And the key that connects it to quantum theory is that key of observation and speaking. As those created in the image of God, we have the ability to speak. And that's what God does. He speaks. And so we can speak to the quantum field and move it. And quantum physics has taught us that energy and the material world can be moved upon through observation. Just looking at it can change it. Wow. See. This is why I like, I love you so much because <laughs> you're willing to go outside the box of, of, of things and look at these, look at these things in such a way. And I, I think God's given you a tremendous gift to, to, to explain that to people as well. So I just love that. Let's, let's go back. So you, you now you're in Bible college and God's really touching your life and he's pulling you and so what, what, happens, what happens next in the story? In that story? Well, a man comes to town named T.L. Osborne, and he begins to talk about his experiences over the last 30 or 30, 40 years. And he was going all over the world preaching in places nobody had ever preached, just preaching, talking to people about Jesus. And he began to tell us how he had seen blind eyes opened, deaf ears opened, cripples walk, people have their lives transformed from being bad people to becoming good people, and they would come to know God. And when I heard him speak, it was like a piece of the puzzle. It was like you were created to do that. You were made to go into all the world and to proclaim the gospel. You were made to open blind eyes, to open deaf ears by the spirit of God. This is your calling. So that was a powerful connection to identity as a, an evangelist or a preacher of the gospel. So I know that around this time, right, you met your beautiful wife, Kathy. After that, I did meet Kathy. She was in a Bible study that I was a part of, and that's a whole nother incredible story. I, I do want you to tell the story of you guys meeting. I think that's a it's a wonderful well, story. 
I'm in Bible school. You know, I'm having all of these experiences. I'm realizing that I'm not called to be a doctor, but I'm called to be a different kind of doctor. I'm called to be someone that connects people to the living God, not to religion, not to a right. church building, but to the presence of the living God. And so coming to that conclusion, we start a little group and it's a group of young people. We were all in our early twenties or middle twenties. And one of the persons who came to my group was a young girl named Kathy Rapp. And Kathy was there. And for two years, she was a part of our group. We would worship together, eat together and, and just fellowship. But, you know, those of us that were leading the group were all committed to being celibates. So we weren't dating. We weren't watching TV. We didn't go to movies. We were just wholly immersed and embedded in the things of God. We were in Bible school. We were about to get ordained so that we could become what they call a minister of the gospel even though I have a different view of that now. And so as we came to the end of our, our time in Bible school, and I've got friends there with me, Kathy's there, we, we make some changes. I'm going to move. And, but before I can move, I've got to get some things squared away. And one of the things that happens is, we're going to go up and visit a friend of mine who's up in Lake Tahoe. And we're going to go snow skiing. And so our group wants to go snow skiing. And we go meet at the airport, but no one shows up but Kathy. It's me and Kathy. Everybody else bailed out. And so we find ourselves on an airplane going up to Lake Tahoe together. We've been friends. I've kind of been her pastor. And we're on this airplane. And we go up there. And all of a sudden, we meet our friend Eric Stovison, and he's got a girlfriend because he had been in Bible school with me. Her name's Peggy, and they're all Twitter paid. Well, we get snowed in in Lake Tahoe, and to make a long another long story short, I get Twitter paid it <laughs> with Kathy, and I've never had this happen to me before. This was completely out of the box. I had not ever found anyone that I would want to consider marrying. And I'm, I'm the kind of guy that takes everything to the bottom line really quick. And so we go back to Orange County where we were living and I take her out to dinner and we go to El Salvador, El Salvatore's and we have some spaghetti and we start talking about what is God, what is happening between us? And she's real quiet. And I said, it seems like we're talking about commitment. Seems like we're talking about marriage. And she didn't say a word. <laughs> now there's a another there's another story to this. The backstory is that the Lord had called Kathy to serve him, kind of in the same way he had called me, and that she had had a a word from God that I was going to be her mate. Now, we don't like to tell this to people because there's a lot of people get so squirrely when it comes to this kind of idea. But she, the Lord had spoken to her and she had had confirmation that I was going to be her mate a year before this. it came to the time that I was going to travel away and we ended up going to Lake Tahoe. And before that had happened, she already knew this thing was coming down the pike. 
In fact, when she heard that I was going to leave and move away after the Lord had spoken to her, I was going to be her mate. She said, the devil, you, you're a liar. And she went and bought a male and female matching digital watch. They were the first ever made. They were beginning. They were big and fat and thick. And she bought them. She said, I'm going to give these, this watch to Tom the day he proposes. And so now we're coming back from Tahoe. My birthday is coming. People think I've lost my mind because I'm, I'm just gone bonkers over Kathy. And she invites me over to have a birthday dinner. I, I go over and I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to ask her to marry me tonight. <laughs> and so I go over and I walk in and there's a piano and on the piano was a little box. I said, oh, there's my watch. And Kathy didn't say a word. But Kathy had said, because our relationship was coming together, I'm going to give Tom this watch that I said I was going to give him when he proposes. I'm going to give it to him now on his birthday. And so she had set it there to give me as a birthday gift, believing that her vision was coming to pass. I didn't know anything about it. I randomly say, oh, this is my watch. And then we sit down. I ask her to marry me. She says, yes. Then she tells me the story of the watch. We un unwrap it. It is a watch. It is my watch. I was just speaking randomly. And it was a watch. She said she was going to give to me on the day I proposed. But see, here she has given it to me on my birthday. She didn't know that I was going to propose. <laughs> and see, can you see God woven into all of this? Oh, yeah. It's just like I'm walking in the story created for me before the foundation of the world. This is the glory of, of your identity as a son or daughter of God. Yeah. yeah we got that's, that's so good. So this gets us into a, I mean, this, this propels you into a life of ministry and living by faith. That is absolutely, in my opinion, just so fascinating and so much fun. I know it's not the the life lived by faith isn't always easy. It's it's fraught with opportunity and hardships at times. But you guys have made a life living by faith and traveling the world and touching communities and countries with the love of God. So I I brought a couple of books. So you're you're, you've, I don't know how many books you've written. I've got seven of them, six, seven of them right on my desk here. One of the, one of the books you've written is called Wounded Continent. And this is, out of all the books, this is one of my favorites. I love them all, but this one is probably my most favorite. And I wanted to you know why uh, you like, it? why is that? Because it's a, it's just a story. It is an amazing story, but Everybody it's true. Loves a story. It's a true story. <laughs> it's a true story. Yeah, it's called Wounded Continent, Partnering with the African Church to Save the Dying. And the part, actually, that's, I mean, I love the, the part about Africa and how all of that comes together. I love, I love hearing about it. But the one thing I wanted to ask you about today was this Zunil in Guatemala. It's something that's increased my faith probably more than than any story I've ever heard 
I listen to this story and I, I get so excited about it. Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, Zunil is is a little village where they grow onions right outside of Kitsaltenango, which is 100 miles west or so from Guatemala City in Guatemala, which is a country in Central America, in case people don't know. And after Kathy and I got married in the fever that we were telling you about a moment ago, we sold all of her stuff because I was a Bible school student and I didn't have anything, but she was working a real job and had furniture and a car. So we sold all of her furniture and her car and we moved, went on a trip to, to Guatemala to study language, to go to language school and to do crusade evangelism or T.L. Osborne evangelism. Remember I heard T.L. Osborne go and preach and do these signs. And so that was set in me. And now I was going to go try to do it. And so we went Got a plane ticket with Kathy's brother went with us, Paul Rapp, and we went to Kitsaltenango and ended up preaching there and saw out of that came two Christian fellowships or two churches came out of that initial experience. But when we got there, the reason we wanted to preach there is they worshiped a mannequin. It, it was part of an extension of, of Catholicism in that part of the world where it mutates and becomes a dead religious expression. And so this, this part was a mannequin that the people worshiped. It was idolatry in the midst of Catholicism. And I'm not trying to throw stones at Catholicism because there, there's idolatry everywhere. And so these people would worship this mannequin that had a cowboy hat on and sat in a chair and smoked a cigarette and it, they would pour whiskey down its throat. That's a mannequin. It's made out of wood. What a trip. But when you get around this mannequin, you, you know that there's a spiritual reality. All of a sudden you sense there's something powerful happening that's invisible around this mannequin and worship. And it is because there's a there is a spiritual entity inhabiting this, this wooden man because it's receiving the worship of these people. And so we wanted to go preach there. And I said, man, if I ever wanted to preach somewhere, this would be a T.L. Osborne kind of moment. And so we're back in Kitsaltenango. We're getting ready to go preach there. But something happens in a meeting that I'm a part of that was so discouraging. I said to myself, I just want to go home. I don't want to go preach anywhere. We'd had another set of meetings and they, it turned out to be a fiasco. The bats came in and flooded the meeting place and the electricity went off and a little boy on the front row threw up all over the place. And it was like, if this is what it is to be a preacher, I don't want to do it. <laughs> And then we prayed for people and nothing happened. And so now we had this vision to go to, to Zunil and we couldn't do it because now I wanted to go home. And I said to my wife, Kathy, we're sitting at a little table in Kitsaltenango having coffee or something. I said, I, won't, I wouldn't go there and preach unless God wrote it on the wall or somebody came in. He sent somebody in to invite me. 
And at that moment, the door opened and a man came in named Jose Manai. And he was a superintendent for the Church of God, Western Guatemala. And he just walked right up to me in broken English. He said, I heard you're, you want to preach in Zunil. I don't know where he heard that. And I said, well, yeah, we had thought about it. He said, well, we want you to come. We'll get the interpreters. We have the sound equipment. We'll set it up. You come and preach. And so I said to my wife, God would have to invite me himself. And that's what he did. <laughs> An incredible story. And so we went and preached there seven nights. And hardly anyone got saved. But while I was preaching one night, I would speak in English. It would be translated into Spanish and then into Quiche, a local language. And as I was waiting for the translation to take place, the Lord, it's like I had this thought from God. It just, it, I'm, having, I'm, I'm multitasking while I'm preaching. And the Lord says, I've called you to do this. And it was like I had this sense of, rock solid security to just float into me this is identity stuff right yeah and uh, the voice of god speaking i've called you to do this and i believe god wants to speak to everybody in that way in some fashion to know you're in the right place doing the right thing and so we preached there were few people saved we came back in six months and there were two churches that grew up out of this little seed that was planted. So, yeah. so there's good. more to that story than meets the eye, but that's part of it. All right. So these incredible stories that you have of Guatemala and Africa, let's talk a little bit about Africa. I know that really Africa basically started in Las Vegas when you were pastoring in Las Vegas, right? Am I correct on that? Well, the vision for it started sooner than that. Before that, in Carson City, Nevada, I was, playing, I was doing a church there, but I was not happy being a pastor. I wanted to go evangelize. Oh, can I interrupt you for a minute? Yeah. Why were you not happy being a pastor in Carson City? That's a good question. Because remember T.L. Osborne, I wanted to go preach in, to large crowds of people. And so being a pastor was not about an event it's one thing to preach to a large crowd and see people healed or saved but to be kind of like have a family that you have to take care of that's a whole different genre of experience and so pastoring pastoring was it's it's more it costs more to do that right Costs more of, and it's more nurturing, and you have to deal with people. They don't teach you any of that in Bible school for the most part. And they teach you a lot of things that are not really going to help you when you're dealing. Like I have, I had a guy in my church, and he came and said, Pastor, he says, I'm going to tell you something. I have a problem. I run naked through the streets at night. <laughs> Now, they don't teach you about that in Bible school. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. So, so, and I just think, you know, I pastored for, for several years and with you and you and I have both, we've, we've changed a lot, not, not our faith, but how we go about what we're doing in life and in the church has changed quite a bit for you, hasn't it? 
Well, I just see things clearer, more clearer. And to me, the bottom line and the why is so important. Why do we do what we do? Yeah, speak on that a little bit, Tom. That's really good. <laughs> well, the, you know, why do I do what I do? Why am I married? Why do I have responsibility of a family? Why do I want to minister to people? Is it, right. is it to feed my own ego? Is it to make money? Right. <laughs> no, it's not. Why do I want to do crusade evangelism? Right. Why do I like the big event? And so the answer to the why helps you get in touch with what's real and what is most important. And yeah. when it comes to church, you and I have both pastored. We have seen the, gen, the, the way church develops, that it becomes more about a program than it does about the people. And you're feeding the program. Right. right. And it becomes about money to keep the program going. And I'm not saying they're all that way, but that's that's a tendency for human nature. And do we have the courage out of us knowing who we are to say, I'm not going to serve the program. I want to serve God. I want to love people. People are important. That's right. Not that's right. having a place that attracts people who want to put their kids over here so they can be educated and they can hear a self-help sermon. Right. It's not going to help them in the long run. And so we've kind of seen through some of that. I'd say you have too. And we've come to realize that that what's important is people, and it doesn't have to happen on Sunday morning in the confines of four church walls. Right. Yeah, there's there's some there's some amazing churches that are doing great things. There's also this this other side of of it all that says. We can do things differently. There's another way to do things. Church can be done in so many ways. So I love that freedom. So. Yeah, without giving an expose on church, church is, is, a, is a relational thing between God and people. And right. when, when there's a structure that reduces it to more woody kind of relational experiences and that that's a disservice to the bride the bride's made for love the bride's made to look beautiful and so she looks beautiful in relationship with somebody that loves her <laughs> that's right church. no it's so good though because in the word of knowledge this is where i wanted to bring up in the word of knowledge the book you wrote i believe it is chapter 10 empowered ministry and you talk about this. Love is the primary channel through which God touches people with gifts. God is com committed to releasing gifts in our love and service to others. Get into love and you get into gift ministry. And if you see you are at anemic and loving others, you can pray and ask God. Ask the Lord to give you a glowing heart of love for those you minister to. He will do it. I just love that. And it is all about love in the end. Yeah, now you're getting down to the real why of it all. Right, about love. That's And throughout my experience with you and Kathy, the thing that rings true, no, no matter what you guys have done, it's always based in love. So well, we want it to be, if, if we don't connect with love and who we are loved by, in other words, if we don't know, we're not solid, then we'll be drawn off by everything that comes along People will deceive us, will be deceived. We will chase after the rainbow. 
Wow. And so the antidote to that is to be solid in who you are and who it is that created you and what is he calling you to do. Yeah. So I want to, I know we're running a little bit out of time. So I want to talk a little bit about Africa. And we had started talking about Africa. Oh, yeah, we got started off. in Carson. Yes. Let's, uh, let's, let's get back on Africa a little bit. So I, I, you know, there's so many stories you could tell, but a little backstory about Africa. And then t- tell me one story about Africa. Well, first of all, the why of Africa comes out of the T.L. Osborne thing before I was even married. So Kathy and I got married and we wanted to not just be Christians. We wanted to do the stuff. We wanted to do the ministry. We wanted to preach. And so we ended up in Carson City planting a church. But I still wanted to do mass evangelism because there's a big world of people. And it's through the preaching of the gospel that people are saved. And so one of the things I want, I felt the Lord wanted me to do was to go to Africa. But Africa was a long way away. It takes money to get there. I don't know anything about it. And so I have a couple of dreams. And in the dreams, I am encountered by a man who is preaching in Africa named Reinhard Bunke, a great Africa preacher. He came up with the slogan, Africa shall be saved. And so I had this dream, and I knew that I was going to go to Africa. I just didn't know when. And I ended up moving to Las Vegas, taking over a church that was faltering because the the pastor and his wife were getting divorced. And while I was there, I bought a television station. And the television station was K19CSK in Las Vegas. And it's a real broadcast station. We're not talking about cable TV. We're talking about transmitter, the whole bit. So I'm on television. I have a studio. In the meantime, a friend of mine comes back or is going to go to Africa. And he says, Griner, come go with me to Africa. And so I end up going with him to Africa. I end up putting a television program on national television in Zambia. We were in this country of Zambia. And so for two years, I believe it was, I preached on television every week and became kind of a celebrity. In those days, nobody was on television, but it was me and Benny Hinn, (laughs) if you ever heard of Benny Hinn. Oh, yeah. And so out of that ministry came crusade evangelism into Africa, where people were saved. And then we started a ministry to children, feeding homeless children and giving them a school to go to and feeding them. And one thing has led to another. Now, at this time, after all of these years, we're working on changing the educational system in Africa because it was built in Zambia on the British idea of education for Africans, which was a rote learning exercise so that the Africans would make good servants. They were taught to be servants, how to set the table and not ask questions or try to solve problems. And so we realize that that has become a detriment to the country prospering because they have not taught how to think creatively and critically. And so they can't solve problems. They can't make anything because they 
been squeezed into an educational system that creates and perpetuates poverty. And so Kathy and I, with others, have been on a quest to not only evangelize people, but to evangelize the nation by changing its educational system, that it could produce entrepreneurs, that poverty could be lifted. So instead of feeding people, let's let them feed themselves. And, and you're still on TV over there. We, we did it for several years together. Yeah, there's a, one of your programs is playing this week. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> I want you to tell the story of the, the cab driver that you came in contact with over in Africa the last time you were there. I think it was last time, time before. Yeah, time before. Yeah, we're over there ministering to, you know, here I am, I'm becoming an educator. So I gather all of the teachers together maybe three or 400 of them in, in, a, in community schools. And I'm trying to infect them with this idea of get off of the rote learning, to quit memorizing the parts of a grasshopper and teach these children how to play so they can learn to be creative, so they can become entrepreneurs, so your country can have business that can lift it out of poverty. Okay, you get that? Yeah. And so there... But I'm at the hotel and we're about to leave, Kathy and I, and I'm thinking, you know, is it really doing any good? I'm kind of feeling a little depressed over it all. Is anybody really listening to our television? Is it making any difference? And so the, the front receptionist calls for a cab and they say, hey, there's a, a kind of a Uber cab out there that can carry you to the airport. So we go out and get in the car and this guy starts telling us how this is his side hustle. And I said, where'd you hear that word side hustle? It's not an African term. He said, I heard it on television. I heard it from you. I said, oh, you listened to my program. He said, I've been listening since you started. He says, I have three businesses. I have a construction business that I do with employees. This is a young kid. He's like 25. And I said, I do this when I have time off. So I don't waste any time. I need money to keep my business going. So I'm running a side hustle, running people to the airport. And he said, this is my side hustle. And he says, don't stop because it's touching so many people you don't even know of my age. Wow. So good. <laughs> but you it's, see the see how this trails back to an identity. Oh, yeah. Doesn't it? Yeah, it certainly I mean, does. I had this passion to proclaim the king, but not in a religious way, but in a way that puts wheels on the cart or the rubber meets the road. You know, this is part where so often in Christianity, we just get off into these subcultures and we need to break loose and realize that the kingdom has come for the world. That's right. And that includes business. So instead of giving money away, and we've given millions, at least a million dollars away to poverty-stricken children, let's teach them how to become fishermen rather than giving them a fish. We've right. all heard of the concept. The entrepreneurial dream and journey is very much about that. I've enjoyed thoroughly enjoyed my time on that TV program with you. And um, it's just so encouraging 
to see some see fruit, right? Sometimes we'll never see the fruit, but this you got to see it a little bit. That's well, we know if we plant the seed, it's going to bring forth the harvest, even yes. though you may not see it. Somebody's going to eat from it. That's right. And this kid that picked me up from the airport was eating. He had a harvest. I said, well, he said, next time I, and he said, Dr. Griner, next time you come to town, I'm going to give you $500 to let you know that the, the harvest is coming in. That's so good. That's a huge amount of money for an African. And you know what? It's really interesting because I'm, I'm working with the Mandela Fellowship Program out of Africa, where we're working with, I mean, from all over Africa. And it was really interesting the other night, Tom, I was in a little mixer, you know, they were welcoming me all, we were meeting them every, meeting everybody. And last year when I was involved, there was probably, I don't know, a handful of them that were thinking about getting into business or hadn't quite jumped in, taken the entrepreneurial leap yet. This year, I've met, everybody I've met has a business, it's up and running it's either making a profit or they're pretty close. So it's, you know, it does seem like there is something happening in Africa that's so very good and rich. And so I'm just excited about that as well. No, well hey, I'm got, go ahead. Well, I was just going to mention one little thing about the entrepreneur thing. It's the World Bank, believe it or not, published an article that poverty has been reduced by 50% in the last 30 years. This was 2016, they, gave, they published this. And they said it wasn't by humanitarian aid or infusions of money, which create their own cartel kind of governments, but it was through the entrepreneur. Even in China, there's a lifting that's taking place as people exchange value for value. And that comes okay. out of the reality, the why of that is that we, all of us are created in the image of God. We have creative ability and we don't, you don't, the economy is not just a pie. It's something that can grow. It's not, it's not just one size. It can get as big as you are creative. And so, so good. I just so want good. to throw that okay. in. It's the answer to poverty. I have a, a couple of questions for you as we end our time. And that one of them is, and we've been talking about identity the entire way through and how your identity was formed and, and how you can keep going back to these pivotal times. Give me a couple of the biggest events that got you where you are today. Well, probably ending up, ending up at Old Roberts University that changing that in that change of environment going from an environment of secular a secular environment of school to this christian environment getting involved with other people who found their identity in christ was huge in in setting the course of my life and then at all rob at in bible school tl osborne coming along and then kathy griner so getting married to her what do you think about values? When we talk about values and a couple of the words I love is values and purpose. And sometimes I, I, I think that we put, a lot of, we put a lot of value on developing our values and purpose. And I, I kind of have, a, I have a, a belief that 
as we grow in our identity, these values and purposes, they, they, tend, to, they tend to become stronger. The things, if you're a Christian, there's values and purpose in your life that you get as your identity grows. You, be, you value things that you didn't value before, and you, you have purpose that you've never had before. What would you say about values and purpose? Well, I think what you said is just perfect. Uh, there's a solidification that takes place as you see more clearly who you are. And I'm looking at myself from the creator's standpoint, as well as looking internally. And so I can adjust my value system to align up with really what the Bible calls righteousness, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Right. And, and so that becomes clearer. That's the firm foundation of, of my inward nature. I want to be like God. And the Bible teaches us how to do that. So the more clearer I see that, the more I respond to it, the more solid and solidified it becomes. And so I go around seeding that or being a leaven of that nature in the world around me. So you are as right as of right now, I know you guys are planning a trip out to Africa in September. Is that right? So yes, we are going back and out. This week, we're going to go, at the end of the week, we're going to Laredo. And we're going to go down there because there are Venezuelans that are, there's 2,000 of them in Nuevo Laredo, which is across from Laredo, Texas. And they're camped there in the Mexican city. And the mayor has asked for help in feeding them and has even encouraged that they be preached to, that oh, they wow. hear the message of the gospel. So we're going to go and take our big truck and take some food and go preach. Awesome. The values that we have. That's, in, that's, that's awesome. And then we can't go. We started a little home fellowship in your home a number of years ago, I think in 2010 or 11, somewhere around there. And we have had that move to my house. And then I went up to the lake and ministered at the lake for a little while. And then it went to Sparks, Nevada, and that's Karen, who's over there, Karen Page, and she's running, she's leading and pastoring that fellowship, and so you're involved in that one as well, right? Yeah, I was just speaking to them yesterday for over an hour, Zoomed, I Zoomed with them, I Zoomed with them once a month. So good. And we have another fellowship up in Las Vegas with Mark and Melody Carter, and then some other things, one in Arkansas with Randy Hughes, I believe. Yeah, Randy Hughes. What can, what can we be expecting, praying for, for you? Praying for me. I am wanting to do more of what we have been doing. I haven't really changed much, but things are getting clearer. So as things get clearer, you, you can be more, you have more power released with clarity and focus. Got to get rid of the dissipation things that cause dissipation and be focused and then just move in the reality that is authentic and self-authenticating. And that reality for me is the presence of the Lord. And so the days of head are days of increased manifestation of power for the transformation of people, body, soul, and spirit. So good. Come on, I hear an amen. Amen, amen to that. 
Well, I just am so excited that you were able to come on with me today. I I just, I, I have a several books here. Elephant in the Room is another one that Tom wrote. He loves these little books. He writes these things and he seems to produce them in the middle of the night. I wake up one morning, he's got another book. There's one called The Quantum World. This is an amazing miracles at the subatomic level. So you are, you are a Renaissance man, my friend. <laughs> you have touched so many people in so many ways and i'm honored and blessed to have you as my pastor and just thank you so much for being here today hey you are so welcome thank you tom for sharing your life with us today i can't wait to have you back and talk more about africa and what's in store for you and kathy in the future i am positive that it will not disappoint one of the big takeaways that i got from tom's interview today was that from a very young age, he was able to see and feel God's pull on his life. He called it a pull, not a push, but a pull. It is evident that he has answered the call, and with that call, there have been countless numbers of lives changed. I love that his story has love at the center of it. Tom truly believes that when you know who you are, you are powerful. Dr. Grinder's desire is to see people everywhere experience the transforming presence of Jesus in their lives. And if you want more about Dr. Grinder's ministry, you can go to his website at www.fathersheartinternational.org. Thank you for listening today, and if you found this podcast inspiring, please follow the pod and leave a comment. Thank you for listening to the Who Do You Think You Are podcast. I hope you had some kind of a breakthrough moment while you listened today. I love when people get an insight that can quite literally change the way they think and behave. If you want more of this or want to learn more about my community, go to endurancelead.com. That's endurancelead.com. Until the next time, this is Who Do You Think You Are podcast. My name is Ken Castrico, and I want to thank you for listening. If you found this podcast inspiring, please follow the pod and leave a comment. Have a great day.